Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Rafael Nadal has put himself in position for number 21 after a four-set win over Matteo Berrettini in the semifinal. He has set up another clash with Daniil Medvedev at the 2022 Australian Open. Incredible. Uh, Joel, I mean... It's another it's another comeback from injury for Nadal, another tournament that you know he goes into and there's there's reasons to temper expectations just given the the past. And then here we go. Whoa, you know, no Novak. He's in a final, he's got a chance, and and suddenly suddenly it's another twist in the uh in the chronology of of the big three. It is interesting. Just think what a month it's been. What when the month started, Nadal was recovering from COVID. And Novak was the odds-on favorite to win his 21st major. Now Nadal is in the finals, and we'll, we'll dig into that match. And, gee, let's say if he just wins this, then he comes to his, his pet slam, his incredible slam. And that's like a whole other plot line. So it is really fascinating. It's really exciting. I just find it stunning that at age 35, he's beating a guy that soundly 10 years younger than him to make the final of his worst slam and making it, I mean, that I, I thought maybe that it would go five sets and, and be really like a, a, an epic or something like that. But Rafa had a game plan and he executed it to perfection. And we all knew what the game plan was going to be. And yet he couldn't be stopped. That's right. I, I was writing about this. Uh, sometimes the game plans, the weapon is doubt. And we do different things and other thing times the weapon is, I know it, you know it, the whole planet knows it. Here you come. How do you, here's another cross court forehand to your backhand, Mateo. And he just went after it's like a dentist cavity, man. He just was relentless and then it worked. Yeah. Uh, on the last show, Amy, right. You asked me, what is Mateo supposed to do? I, I forget what I said, but probably I said, I don't know. And I still don't know. I, like when the ball is on his backhand and Nadal, with that lefty forehand, one of the great weapons in the history of the sport is the only place you're, you know, hitting into cross court. And it's difficult for Mateo to go down the line. Like we've seen some other players do. He doesn't get the depth or weight of shot on the, on the drive and he can't slice. It's, I, I literally don't know what he is supposed to do when the ball is on his backhand. Well, it was interesting to me when I woke up and you guys have been staying up watching the match live and I've been waking up and watching on replay so that I can take notes and look at stats and that kind of thing. And on the text chain, you guys were both talking about Mateo and what he could have done, might have done, didn't do. Can't do. No, no, no. Can't, can't do. Can't, can't do. do. Can't, can't do. do. And, and to me, yes. to me, that it's just so obvious that to look at the match, it's not about Berrettini. It's about Rafa's greatness and you know 
Matteo Berrettini is is a great 25 year old player. He's one of the best on tour. And yes, he, he has a weakness, which is his backhand, but that's not really the story here. It's, it's almost like a light that is so bright, the greatness that you can't look right at it. You're kind of looking around it. And, and to me, the overwhelming story here is, is not about what Matteo, his weaknesses are or anything like that. It's what Rafa did. Oh, no question. I mean, history is often written by the winners and he won the match and he's in the final and he's the great Nadal. I think what we were doing as we were pondering the Berrettini opportunity, you know, where he's at and the, and the thing what I draw encouragement from and he can draw encouragement from, from the big three of how they all improve their game. And so Berrettini has a, a training block opportunity that might take a while. I mean, it's not a two week fix. It's a it's a couple of years long fix of, okay, making that backhand something that can do more things for him, that can go cross court, that can go down the line, that can return better. And of course, the other parallel thing, which you brought up to us, Amy, is, okay, and then dimensionalize your game and get your six foot five body to the net. Right. And he did that on several points and, and executed it so perfectly. And he would look at his box like, yes, see, I did it. But then he wouldn't do it again. And it's all about what a player's individual tolerance is for approaching the net. It, what, what is that player's definition of a short ball or an approachable ball? And um, right now, his definition is probably less aggressive than what it should be. So here's Berrettini with two upsides. And again, of course, the, we're, we're going to talk about Rafa, of course, but I think with Berrettini, it's coming to net more and seeing it. Someone, I was talking once with someone who was a baseline and they're, oh, I guess I need to come to net, take more risk. I said, if you think it's a risk, you'll treat it like a risk and then you won't do it. But what you need to do is see it as investment spending. And for example, my era, where I learned to play in the net rushing era, you get a quarter point like a tax credit, even if you lose the point because you're accruing certain things. And so, so Berrettini, this is a mindset. This is maybe occasionally playing some doubles at some other events, just some ways to get comfortable. And he has, he has plenty of tools. I'm so, I'm very impressed by him. And we've been talking about him for a while and we'll see how it continues to go for him. And then the backhand, that's two. And the, the great thing when you play these three at the, I mean, the semis, the very latest stages, well, the final, uh, you're seeing where your game's at. You got the exact, you got the MRI. Remember we talked before the match though about how first serve return points and second serve return points are different and how service points and return points are different. Yes. Now, Berrettini can, can hold serve with, with the best of them, with his serve and his forehand. But when, when he's on return against a player like Nadal, who was executing incredibly well, his second serve, it was such a bounce back, averaging over 100 miles per hour, only double faulting twice, forehand was on point, five backhand unforced errors in the entire match. It was such a solid shot. When Berrettini is on return, that's where it's, he's going to have to, you know, move well. He's going to have to hit backhands. He's going to have to hit returns. On serve, I think, yeah, you can get to the net all the time, uh, and that opportunity is going to present itself. But don't you agree that in the modern game, even even a Maxime Cressy or a Feliciano Lopez, guys who all they'd want to do is get to net, they're not really going to get there as, as often as they want to on return games. And that is the issue with Berrettini. He's broken Nadal's serve once in uh, three plus four, seven sets against Nadal. 
And it was, you know, he's had break points in one total return game against Nadal because of what Rafa does with his serve, his forehand, the way uh, Berrettini just, you know, the movement and defense of Berrettini against the aggression of Nadal. That is as much a mismatch in, in this matchup as any. Well, just let's put the net rushing aside because that's kind of a spectrum how much you come in. You can you can come in all the time like Cressy or you can come in a little bit more like Federer or you can come in not at all. So but let's put the net rushing aside and let's go back to something you said about first serve and second serve. So looking at the stats, I mean, so much was was even in this match, Berrettini actually had the um, advantage in aces 14 to five, both had two double faults. Uh, first serve in Mateo 67, Nadal 69, very even. Um, and those are perfectly acceptable percentages. First serve points one, Berrettini 74%, Nadal 73%. It's dead even. Where is the where's the divergence? It's in that same stat category that Nadal always dominates and especially on clay. But here, what's so amazing is he did it on his worst surface. Second serve points one. Berrettini, 44 percent. And the gold standard is 50 percent. Right. That's 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 where you want to be. Fifty percent. He's at forty four percent. Nadal, second serve points one, sixty three percent. So it's sixty three percent to forty four percent in that static that stat category. And that's where Nadal won the match. Well, and you can just see it. You can just see it playing out of how Nadal hits the second serve and what does Berrettini really do to get traction. And then Berrettini has a conundrum. And the thing is, this is going to be developmentally challenging. Okay, against many other players. Yeah, learn to drive the backhand, learn to drive, oh, probably middle cross court, you know, to kind of like, oh, wait, that's Rafa's forehand. And then, so you almost got to go through like a, it's like, a, it's one of those, it's like one of those two tier passwords on a, on a website. You have to do two things to, to first, Bertine's got to learn to hit kind of the drive, the garden variety cross court backhand return from the ad court to be, to be 90% of the tour, which is the righties. Now he's going to play Rafa. Oh, now I got to learn this one too. And, and you're right, and you see instantly how Nadal is so good at taking charge of the points. Then, then Berrettini's own second serve and Nadal's ability to kind of like pin him. And of course, that does also come back to Berrettini's backhand challenge, right? And Rafa's being able to find that. And yeah, that's a great, that's a great revealing stat. And it was very vivid, those first two sets. I mean, Berrettini was completely outplayed those, those first two sets. He was getting no traction. He was doing nothing to really hurt Nadal or question Nadal and Nadal could even write off the occasional forehand winner. But so uh, it's a masterful effort to swing to Nadal. Just he's so good at understanding his game and Berrettini presents him with, with a good math for it too. Can, can I, I just want to um, continue on, on the second serve thing and, and weigh in mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. This is about winning rallies. These first serve points aren't rallies. They're boom, boom, service yeah. winner, ace plus one Berrettini, as good as anyone at that game, Nadal's amazing at that game too. And that's why you see there's no advantage in first serve, right. but who's winning rallies. And, um, you know, it's just the elite players, Djokovic, all three times winning in second serves Zverev in Madrid, another big match masters, 1000 final for Berrettini Zverev, a great baseliner second serve points in that one, 48% Berrettini, 76% Zverev. That is that is, I think, the difference right now between the tier one, 
which I think is occupied by Nadal and Djokovic and Medvedev and Zverev and Tsitsipas, unless the surface is lightning. Um, that's the tier one, I think, right now in men's tennis. And then there's the tier two. And Berrettini, I think, is in the tier two. I think the major difference is that he's just not winning ra- rallies. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and interestingly, Gil, I mean, we talk so much about zero to four going into this thing. Um, Mateo actually had Nadal in zero to four, mm-hmm. although it was pretty close. Um, but of course, Rafa had um, Rafa had Mateo in five through eight and nine plus. So um, I do think the the match was played, and this was not obvious to the naked eye, but I do think that the match was really played and won inside those second serve points. And um, so there there would be two categories, right? There would be Nadal's second serve when he was serving and Nadal when he was receiving uh, Mateo's second serves. And so I, I really wanted to know, like, what was Rafa doing when he was serving on his second serve? And he had his primary pattern and he had his off pattern and his primary pattern um, was to serve it from the deuce court. The, the vast majority of his second serves were put to up the tee. And um, interestingly, in the ad court, the vast majority of his second serves were, were put to Mateo's body, but with a lefty, that's going to tail out anyway, so it really is to the backhand, but it's with more margin if you're serving right to the body. So um, again, it was like it was like he wrote, Rafa wrote in his book about Roger, to the backhand, to the backhand, to the backhand, always to the backhand. <laughs> Well, and all it's kind of like so the ad court thing is a little bit like the, the serving the equivalent to B and C in the you know it's like for example and you guys tall so take away so the wingspan and say okay what can you generate from the middle I mean and I think the real thing that always uh, that separates players at every level I mean we know this at our at our level is what they truly do productively from the middle and then you see where the technique really falls it's kind of like the it's kind of like giving a volley or a slow nothing ball to their volley then you see where the technique surfaces. And so Berrettini then, I mean, he could, he must come out of this match thinking again, all these strands got with the backhand, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to cope with this serve. And Adele, and even the one, even all the years he always serves to Federer's backhand in the ad court, 
it's not, this wasn't a exceptionally wide serve. I mean, Rafa's is right. service. He's not John McEnroe. He's not, he, he's not Martina Navratilova with that shot. He's just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to chuck it over there. Go ahead and, and see what you do. You know, that's all, that's all he's going to do. So it's, it's, it's nothing, um, you know, it's nothing that big that way, but, and then, and then where do you bring it back? Do you bring it to the sliver to his backhand and then you go middle cross court to the forehand and then he gets it going. But Gil, you know, just to make reference to the other category where Nadal is returning second serves, um, you know, he really, I don't know if you picked up on it, but the first, second, and third uh, sets, Nadal was doing one thing with his return position. Then he lost the fourth set. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, then he lost the third set. And then in the fourth set, he, he switched. He changed his. It was Did the you deep, pick up on that? The, the deep return position. Yeah, was was the one that was working in this one. Uh, I love what he's done in this tournament, right? He's had both as an option and he's kind of mixed it up, right? Yeah, exactly. So on first serve, he's deep. Generally, he's deep. And then in the first, second and third sets, he would move close on second serve. Well, it worked for the first two sets. Then in the third set, um, Mateo started to really pick up on that and and uh, exploit that. And uh, so in the fourth set, he moved way back behind Melbourne even. And, um, and it, it, he was just hitting these high loopy heavy topspin returns to Mateo's backhand. And, and actually, um, Mateo ended up making a lot of forehand errors in that set. Running around it, right? Yeah. 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 This is the virus effect of when you miss a shot off your weakness, then when you have the shot to your strength, you might want to overplay it because you're so eager to do something productively with the strength. Exactly. This, um, if I may, and, I, and it's okay, we want to continue on the Nadal and the semi, this return position, I think, is a natural segue to our final because yeah. we got the two guys who are kind of the, the stadium expansion crew because of how far back they return serve. I mean, look, you know, and Nadal, I mean, these guys are like, we're, we're, how, how much further back are they going to return? They're going to have to start taking out rows of seats or build stadiums to make room for how these guys are returning. And remember last year when uh, Medvedev, when he banged into like a camera guy at a tournament because he's returning so far back. And uh, I don't know if we want to, if we want to tackle the final or there's some more. Things. We do. Okay. I was, I was going to go there. So go ahead, Joel. I just think it's a really, well, I think in the big picture and we can dive into the nuances, um, the tangibles, I give a little edge to Medvedev on some of the things he's got. Look how close he played with Rafa two and a half years ago in his first slam final at the U.S. Open and how much Medvedev has improved since then and how much he challenged things. I think for Nadal, it's about the intangibles. It's the X factor. It's innovation. It's nerves. It's pressure. It's, it's moments. But if you look at it in a logical way, there's a lot to Medvedev. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? I said that Rafa is somebody that I never bet against. I said that going into this thing and, you know, doggone it, that guy, <laughs> you just never bet against him. And, and people, I think, are going to be thinking that he barely got away with that U.S. Open. He, he stole that thing from Medvedev. So therefore, two years later, you know, or however much time has gone by, he's, um, he's older. So he's not going to steal another one, but um, I don't bet against him. I really don't. And, and just, you know, let's take, for example, the return position. And we're talking about how they both prefer to stand back. 
Well, Rafa has shown in this tournament that he also has the skills to uh, stand in and take the ball on the rise. Have we seen Medvedev doing that? Oh, no, I think, oh, Medvedev, but no, he, he hasn't. And the question is- Well, well in the tournament or the career? In the tournament, in this tournament, on this surface. In the tournament, in I don't think so. But against Nadal in 2019, he actually won the, uh, he won one of the sets with a surprise move in yes. and take the backhand early. So, so he does, he does have it, but it's the plan D it's not a B or C. Well, that's true. We say, and I think the Dallas, what's, what's really interesting. What I think is really interesting about Medvedev, who's clearly auditioning to become part of our show eventually is that Medvedev is the one posing the questions U S open final. He's the one forcing Novak out of the comfort zone. Hey, Novak, you got to do something different. Or you're going to beat me today. And Novak didn't. And Nadal, I'm not, I'm not predicting one way or another. And I too, I mean, I have Nadal is how, how much, who's a better competitor in tennis history. There might be some as good, but it's hard to say someone who's better. And so I get the thought about, you know, not wanting to necessarily bet against him. It's just some of the, uh, the X's and O's. I mean, Medvedev, he might not, he doesn't necessarily perceive a need to return on the rise against Rafa. It's just interesting to see how these points play out. And of course, Nadal, having done this against Novak, Nadal is probably thinking the key shot for him is the down, the off forehand to expose the Medvedev forehand, you know, the, the Nadal off forehand, because the cross court pattern that works so well against Berrettini is a little less productive in this situation. Mm -hmm. a lot, right. A lot yeah. Yeah. Uh, just the, the head to head, if I may, uh, three to one for Nadal Nadal won the first three meetings. And in the summer of 2019, really the only person to beat Daniil Medvedev. And, and that was his explosive breakthrough was Nick Kyrgios and Rafa Nadal, Nadal in Canada and in that U S open final. Uh, and then he had that incredible comeback in 2019. Nadal did when I think Medvedev was up five, one in the third set, and Nadal came back to win it in a breaker. But Medvedev got the last one, 2020, again, tour finals. One of Nadal's, you know, famously most difficult events. Um, so that's kind of the, the context um, of the matchup. Joel, any, any thoughts? Well, I think yeah, that was in London. I think uh, um, Medvedev came from a set down and won the second in his high break and then the third. And yeah, that's the, the Nadal, the, the London, the London, Langer sometimes that's tough for Rafa there and uh Medvedev has improved I, I'm just I don't know it's 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 almost one of those things like yeah these are these past results that's all well and good and that's nice and we have a history and we know I agree. but now now we're in yet another major final long after we played that other one and uh I don't know it's nice to see Nadal healthy I'm very happy to see him arrive healthy in a slam final I'm liked boy no um Medvedev played so well in these matches. I, I'm I'm really intrigued because they each have they're each in kind of this neat, rich period of quality tennis. Yeah, it's great to see Nadal healthy. I think the one thing that I, I will be thinking about as far as past results are concerned is the way that 2019 U.S. Open went tactically was so interesting, in the sense that both players were basically basically resigned to if I stay back, I'm going to lose. I mean, almost every point was won at the net in that 2019 final from the third set on. It was a, an unbelievable percentage of, of points. They couldn't hit through each other. 
it was, I mean, Joel, it was, it was the, the seventies again. I mean, it was, it was yeah. amazing. There was um, a lot of net rushing. And I think, I think what happened with Medvedev, even though Rafa had played him before, now they're in a slam. It's almost like when you start to play someone in a slam match, not that I have, but when you, they play each other in a slam match, it's like, wow, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I beat, you know, over five sets. I mean, there's a whole other knowledge base that they get. And, and I hope we see a lot of that in this final. I hope we see some of that. And I think there's probably been a lot of uh, study. I suspect uh, Moya and team have really kind of tried to infuse Rafa with some pattern knowledge, with some serving knowledge. There's a lot of, I mean, Medvedev, boy, he asked a lot of questions. His game asked a lot of complications to figure out how to break him down. I think that that U.S. Open surface is such a slower surface that even though these are both hard courts, I just wonder if the match is going to play out the same way. Um, I mean, we, we, our guest a couple of shows ago was, was talking about like the grains of sand and that the triangular um, shaped grains of sand that have been put into the U.S. Open surface. Um, but Rafa has just surprised the heck out of me by um, playing this well on this fast surface this late in his career. I, I think, um, first of all, I think the, the first point is correct, that the reason they went to net to me at the U.S. Open was it was, it was cold, it was night, the court is slow, they're so fast. They were like, I can't hit a winner from back here. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's just not happening. I have to come forward to finish. And I, I would have trouble. I, I can't see that happening on this court where everyone is basically uh, the top men are holding at over 90%. And it's just, it's been very speedy. It hasn't been a story, thankfully, because we don't need to talk about it every year, but uh, it's been very fast. And, um, you know, the US Open now, now it's looking more like Australia starting last year when the US Open was so slow and that's what Craig was talking about. But last year it was, it was really fast, which is interesting. I kind of think, I don't know that we need to get into this, but I kind of think that as Nadal ages, he starts to like these faster courts more and more. Well, slow hard courts are very hard on the body. I mean, at least the slow mm -hmm. clay courts are a little easier on the body, but slow hard courts are take a lot of toll. And it's like, where's the traction? Where's he getting the yield and what's the bounce and all that kind of stuff. But this match, you know, I think, I think it's kind of a head scratcher for lots of people to look at the, the X's and O's and, and watch the serve. And, you know, Medvedev is so, he, he can serve really well, but how does that work against Rafa, who's a, who's a great return in his way, in the way he gets mm -hmm. balls in play and gets the point going. And, and, and again, I think there's this, this X factor of, of nerves and, and edginess, but Medvedev now in his, in his fourth slam final, um, it, it's a really fascinating matchup. I mean, it's really interesting to dissect. Hard. I just, uh, you know, just spinning it forward a little bit as we look bigger picture. If you're Novak Djokovic right now, and you're aware of what's going on, uh, what are you thinking about the rest of the season? Right now, as far as Australia is concerned, it is what it is. You know, he, the he, worst that he can happen is. The worst that can happen is that they're all still tied at 20. For, you yeah, know, and, for, and, for Nadal, for Nadal, that's, that's like the worst that can happen. The best that can happen is one guy has pulled ahead. I think Novak is confident that he is going to outlast. Mm -hmm. and time is on his side. Yeah. That's right. I, I, I think, I think if, okay, to do the armchair psychology, not that I've ever did. Well, 
Uh, I think a guy like Novak is thinking, you know what? I've got a tournament in Dubai shortly. The year is long. My career is long. We're going to deal with this. I don't think he's pondering these kind of, I mean, he may a little bit and wonder about that, but I think he's just kind of like, it's the same, it's the tennis player mindset. I just got to deal with my side of the net and move forward and play my next events and deal with my diplomatic. I mean, he's got a whole, he's got a diplomatic challenge that's bigger than any opponent. There's all these countries and all these protocols and how's that going to go? That's his, that's his quest. I want to make one more point on, on the final, I guess my X factor is physical, you know, Medvedev, he keeps the ball deep. He doesn't miss very much. He's so good at changing down the line and just, you know, moving you. Uh, now he doesn't, he's not a great finisher off the ground. So there are with every strength there, there's a weakness, but, but he makes it very, very physical. I feel like the one thing that I haven't seen from Nadal is like a full match where there's just no energy dip, where he never looks tired. Uh, that, that being, you know, since the, I, I guess just the last two, right. With Shapovalov and the heat stroke, but then, you know, that's literally, I think the only criticism you could possibly have from his performance against Berrettini is that the energy levels did drop at one point. And I guess my, my big question for Nadal, I'm not making a declaration by any means that he can't do this physically, but my big question is, can he? Well, that's a great question. And it's interesting when you, as you said, we're saying that I was thinking about the Medvedev view and the Medvedev view is, Hey, I'm younger than this guy. I can keep on play. I'm going to outlast Rafael Nadal. So again, this is Nadal's got to be the point ender. Nadal's got to be the guy to figure out how am I going to end points against this guy? How am I getting him to miss? How am I going to get a position to hit my shot? And that's such an interesting shift. That's kind of a tribute to how great the big three have been that they've raised the bar and created these, these playing styles. I mean, look at this Medvedev, this six foot six guy who moves really well and serves well and is kind of a, a new kind of player. And I think that's possibly a trap that people fall into when they play the big three, um, particularly Nadal and Djokovic. I'm younger, you know, I, I got the legs, I got the lungs, I'm gonna outlast this guy. And then you find yourself in a fourth or fifth set and you're on empty and they're still going. Well, I agree. You know, but, but right. And that's been true for, for many, obviously over the years. And I'm not saying Medvedev is just going to become like Bjorn Borg and just, uh, you know, not miss, but still he's something a little different. And he proved it against Novak at the U.S. Open. And uh, he pushed Nadal severely. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's going to win. I'm not making a pick on either, but I think it's, it's really fascinating to see how, how the points are going to be played and to see what Medvedev comes out doing. You know, there's a, they, there, there are going to be many, there's going to be at least two or three twists of tactics and return positions and coming to net, all of that. It will be quite the test for Rafael Nadal because Daniil Medvedev has, has been at the forefront of elite hardcore tennis on the men's side for, for the last year. And you, you just can't, or, you know, year plus, and there's just the, there's no way you can, you can argue with that. So big test for Nadal 21 on the line on Sunday in Melbourne, going for his second Australian open title. 
trying to also reverse this this bad fortune that he's had in the finals won it in 2009 since then he's been in the final four times he has lost all four of those finals and now he has another chance to uh to win the title in australia we will of course be recording another episode after the match to give you all of our thoughts thank you so much for following our coverage throughout the aussie so far and that'll do it for this episode of three remember we're available on all podcast platforms we appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on apple and spotify and if you're watching on youtube like comment and subscribe we will see you next time on the next episode of three